Okay, I think we're live, and I'm Dan Formless, joined by none other than Bjork and <laughs> Ben, the star of Ben Around the World. This is episode eight, and um, I'm going to quickly show you where I am. Uh, I'm on the 20th floor, and if I open the window, you can see my view. Oh, man. <laughs> Tokyo, which is pretty cool. And the sunsets are amazing. And maybe if this podcast goes on too long, I'll be able to show you the sunset. Uh, Quite likely, I think. We have got Bjork over there. We've got loads of cool art in this flat. Shout out to my friend Nick, who didn't give me permission to do this. Um, I'm just going to show you. He's got these great posters. He's got Muhammad Ali looking after my bike that I borrowed. Shout out to Vili for lending me that. Um, so yeah, I just thought I'd take advantage of uh, my slightly nerdy side and um, I'm doing this broadcast with an iPhone 6, is that straight, That's straight enough, Yeah. Um, with an iPhone 6, uh, I've added this kind of big crazy, uh, it's called an exo lens, a Carl Zeiss lens, it is uh, Mutal 0.6x ASPH, I hope everyone knows what that means. And um, I'm using some Bluetooth headphones uh, made by Flare, the Flare Pro headphones, um, which, are, which uh, I had to buy. I'm not endorsing them for any other reason other than I think they're actually really good. Uh, I think that's I how we do it here. No, no paid endorsements, just the things that we actually like. Yeah, exactly. No paid endorsements. Um, but I would say they were retailing at £300, which I would never have paid for them. They've brought out a second version which to me doesn't sound like they've made many improvements. I think on the higher, higher fidelity end, they might be slight improvements, but they've reduced these ones to 150 and then a further 10% off right now. So just look up um, Flare Pro headphones. Um, the great thing is the Bluetooth um, fitting thing here, which has the microphone. Um, you can detach the headphone wire from that and put them onto a normal headphone wire and connect it to your um device so they're bluetooth or wired which i think is quite a rare thing so if your battery runs out on your bluetooth thing you can just carry on using them um so that's my intro um, <laughs> as i say episode eight i'm in tokyo and ben where are you i'm in new delhi since we well since we last spoke i've basically traveled the majority of india I traveled down from uh, mumbai where i arrived all the way down the west coast to Kochi <clears throat> via a month in Goa over the new year for the new year's uh, parties there. And then over to Bangalore for some work. That's this kind of tech Silicon Valley of India. And then to Auroville, this sort of crazy hippie futurist community. And then since then I cycled two and a half thousand kilometers in one go over the last month, all the way up to Delhi through the center of India where no one I've ever met outside of India has ever been, but I've had some of the most uh, interesting experiences there. Yeah, I've been uh, a little bit delayed from to do this podcast because I had a bit of a nightmare with, uh, with my bike, though. My kind of technical update would be, or my PSA, I think, to cyclists would be to um, make sure you replace your chain quite often. And if it starts skipping, replace it, because I've made a very, ex I found out in a very expensive way that if you don't replace your chain in time, then you have to replace a lot of other parts of uh, of your group set on the bike. 
um, one of which so is not available in India at all. So I'm having to get my sister to ship it to Nepal for next month, which is going to be very painful. So wait a minute. It's it's basically it's, what's the crank? The crank is the crank's the uh, oh, my mic's just out of shot. The crank's the bit where the pedals attach and so that's turn. The bearing, the bearing bit in the middle. It's uh, not the not the bearing. So basically, what I've worn out is the um, or everything the chain touches. Because I didn't replace the chain, I, I the last two and a half k, it started skipping at the beginning, and what I should have done is replace the chain. So but, you've worn uh, away, you've worn away all the cogs. Basically. All the cogs, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the chain, the chain has stretched, and yeah. then it started to wear away on all of the cogs, the front cog, and the and the back ones. Yeah, so I'm a, I'm I'm kind of lucky in a way because I mainly ride. On, I've got thirty gears. I've got three on the front uh, on the chain rings at the front, and ten on the back. And I've, um, because I mainly ride on the middle gear on the front, I've worn that middle gear almost completely. Like if you look at the teeth, it's unbelievable how, how uh, worn they are. So now if I go into that gear, it just continuously, it will never actually, I can never put any weight on the pedals or even pedal flat on that. Um, the same happened on some of the gears on the back sprocket. So when I got to Delhi, I got to I found a bike shop with pretty good reviews actually dropped down there. Um, they they clean the bike and it's cleaner than it was ever was i think even when i when i uh put it together in, in my flat in peckham but they don't have the parts for the front the front cogs basically so i've i've gone down to 20 gears and i'm just about to cycle into the himalayas so um that's going to be a pain i've got i've sent uh the, the correct cog it's only 20 quid that's the annoying thing it's just they don't have them in india it's just not the they don't have that particular uh crank or whatever or sprockets that i need so i'm gonna have to probably pay about three times as much in shipping to get it to somewhere in nepal where i can pick it up in uh in a month's time or maybe three weeks time so that was a painful lesson yeah but not that bad i mean you haven't had a crash or anything and yeah have you had any, have you had any more punctures puncture watch? I've had, yeah puncture watch i have had another puncture i got a another big chunk of metal into the tire um which i pulled out in the last in the last couple of days here since i cycled from uh, agra where the taj mahal is uh, there's a lot of trucks on the road there so there's a lot of wire that comes out of the like the tires there they're all wire reinforced and so on the side of the road there's big bits of wire but um yeah well all, all tires are wire reinforced it's just that, uh, um we're not used to people running their tires running it entirely down the wire comes out yeah 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 i've been um, taken over by some trucks that literally they just have the shreds of a tire remaining on one of the one of the axles and they're just powering on <laughs> yeah it's uh it's 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 very similar in the philippines i'll be honest um so let's just quickly uh, do you want? Do you know the name of that bicycle shop? Just shout that bicycle shop out. It's literally called the Bike Shop, um, and it's in Delhi. Crazy, so. yeah, Delhi in South Delhi. It's the biggest, the w most rated one there, and they have actual uh, Shimano registered or trained engineers there, which is good. Because I went to another shop, and uh, and uh, you can just see by the reaction to the of the engineers or the mechanics that they've never seen a bike like this before, which is not reassuring when you're, you're giving away your bike to someone to fix. But these guys were properly, um, properly trained up and did a really good job apart from the fact that they just don't have the, uh, the parts or the, that one part that I need. If it makes you feel any better, my friend Colin, um, from 
from uh, Scotland, uh, who's a massive bike enthusiast. He bought a very rare bike uh, from uh, another friend of his um, who was an even bigger obsessive in bikes. And Colin took that all the way to San Francisco for some crazy uphill bike uh, competition. Like a Kilgallen race. Um, yeah. Those are and, wild. Um, it got damaged in transit, even though oh. he packed it really, really carefully. And he still did the hill climb race, but basically the the head, like the way the handlebar thing fits onto the front forks was just kind of damaged or bent. Headset, yeah. Could He could not replace it because the company had gone out of business and he could not get anyone to machine something or anything. It was just, the, as he put it, the bike was just a massive paperweight. Oh man, that is killer. Actually, there might be something, I've been researching um, cycling shops for some crazy project and um, I found out about this one, I think it's called Circa Circa in Japan and it's literally focused on restoring vintage bikes and you can you can buy like classic Tour de France steel frame bikes for thousands and thousands of dollars because they've, I think they go into that, into such detail that they will machine missing parts um, themselves for it. If you get a chance, well, obviously you're probably not as bike obsessed as me, but if but if you get a chance to go there, definitely do. If I get end up in Japan, I'm going to go uh, along. I'll, um, I'll, like, I'll message Colin and see if he's still got his paperweight or whether he's <laughs> see if you want fancy shipping it over to Japan <laughs> just for repair. You know, it's a pretty big well, transfer. Though. He's got he's got a baby on the way, so congratulations to Kelly and Colin. But I'm sure yeah. he has uh, better things to spend his money on now. Yes. Um, okay, time, so. So um, you mentioned one of the seven wonders of the world. How was the Taj Mahal? Yeah, oh, it was amazing. I, I've, um, I've really, uh, I've, since I arrived, particularly in Mumbai, I've kind of been put off by going to anything touristy. I found, I, I found that I went to kind of India Gate in Mumbai, and it was just absolute hell. Like, as soon as I stepped off the train in downtown Mumbai, I just. Every, everyone, everyone that's there like spots you and makes a beeline for you to try and sell you like a take you on a three day tour of the town or to sell you anything that they're trying to sell or all this kind of stuff. Over, anything that's you try and buy is they'll like triple the price. Um, yeah, it's absolutely knackering. <clears throat> that said, the Taj Mahal. Um, I Hold wasn't... on, isn't isn't that where you got charged to go into the toilet and charged to come out of the toilet? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. That well, I didn't. I didn't fall for that one. So, uh, yeah, I, I went into the toilet and there's and uh, paid my one rupee, which is, uh, what was that? That's like less than a penny, basically. It's like a hundredth of a penny or something. And uh, I came, waited, came out. And then as I was coming out, the guy st- stops me. And he's like, 10 rupees, 10 rupees. I was like, come on, mate. He's literally standing under a huge sign that says toilet, one rupee. It's ridiculous. But I suppose people do it. I think a lot of people see you, I suppose, I am a lot richer than the majority of people in uh, in India or in some parts of India, I suppose. But um, uh, yeah, you're definitely seen as a bit of a walking bag of money in those cases. And uh, yeah, I, and, that, and it was the same in the Taj Mahal. He, um, it was out to an extent, yeah. So I got, I actually got scammed for the first time, which is annoying. I've tend, I, I've, uh, I was a bit over, like, I, because I'm quite, I basically my only source of entertainment these days is YouTube. Before I got to India, I was watching a lot of videos about um, about 
the, a lot of the popular videos about India and China and a lot of countries is um, are about scams, basically avoiding scams. And they're quite entertaining to watch, which I think is why they're so popular. But I arrived with a bit of a bad attitude, actually, that I, because when you go to some of these tourist spots, people do try and take advantage of you. But actually, the majority of Indians aren't like that. And especially once I got out of uh, out of any major city, that totally fell away. And uh, and yeah, I was generally quite um, quite fine. But with that caveat, when I got to Agra, I got I arrived quite early, about two p.m. in the afternoon, and uh, I really I was on quite tight schedule because I had some work to do here in Delhi and so I wanted to go to the Taj Mahal that afternoon and then leave the next morning go straight out towards Delhi uh, but I so I got I jumped put my bike into the hostel didn't didn't skip the shower just you know put some different clothes on r- jumped out and um, I've been using this app called Ola which is like Uber but it lets you take the rickshaws the, the small little three-wheelers that they have in most Indian cities and uh, generally I do that because the pricing is in the app. It tells you up front, so you you can't, you don't get overcharged, basically. And you can it's got just a rating. Um, one one second, because yeah. can you just uh, uh, remove your mic and oh. plug it in again because it's doing that crackly thing. And I'm going to take this opportunity to make a joke about the fact that I'm drinking Perrier water. Oh, uh, nice. Which I've pl- placed in the shop, but uh, it's only because yeah, I'm uh, Nick. Nick runs events and he buys like vast amounts of drinks for the events. And then when I come, he's like, drink, drink more Perrier. He's got like cases of it here. Oh, mate. And Blue Moon as well. Blue Moon, um, that, that, what's it called? What's it called? Uh, Belgian, Belgian white beer. Yeah. I'm out on the balcony. Not so much for Blue Moon me, but Perrier I would go for. Love a good uh, spike. You're still crackling for some reason. I I don't know why. I feel it's important to try and um, stop it happening. Yeah. Because mm. you were saying about this app, it's still crackling though. Still crackling now? Yeah. Oh, bro. I wonder if I can... I uh, wonder if I can... Um... I'll, be, I'll be honest. The one thing, the one issue I've had with the flare headphones so far is occasionally they kind of, kind of drop in and drop out like, yeah. repeatedly and kind of clip a bit and stuff. Um, and I can't work out whether it's when I'm in an area where lots of other things with Bluetooth or lots of people are are around or not. Yeah. Um, it's my um, only... I, I could probably troubleshoot it. And I was thinking about this. This is the problem with giving something a review soon after getting it. You don't really come away with... Um, you, you find a lot of problems as time goes on. And if you've yeah. submitted your review, whether it's on Google or your unboxing... Uh, video you've done on YouTube I, I don't know if they're necessarily that realistic and I, I, I'm starting to realize that reviews after a month or even longer are far more useful yeah I have those with the uh, RCA headphones they're awesome at, up front and then they they just kept dying for me every uh every like few months they just just couldn't stand up to my daily commute how's that if it's not if it's still not it's good still enough. crackling it's still crackling oh. I don't know why last time we when we were doing our test before we started, microphone. it did that, and then you unplugged it, and you went silent for a second, and you plugged it back in, and it was perfect again. How about now? Still crackly. Still crackly? That's surprising. Yeah. I've completely un- unplugged it, that's weird. Um, talk again. Hello. One, two. Ah, that's good. Okay. So, so well, you muted and unmuted. I don't know why that would 
Yeah, I've just gone with the Mac mic now, so I hope it's uh, not too bad. Yeah, okay. Any feedback? But yeah, so my my scamming story. So I got into the uh, the brickshaw at the um, at the hostel, and the Taj Mahal set a lot of Indian tourist spots open at sunrise and close at sunset because it's fairly because it's close to the equator that it's fairly consistent the length of the day in the summer and the winter so it's like standard 6am to 6pm hours so I had about two hours till it was supposed to close the Taj Mahal so I got into the thing the guy starts chatting to me I'm not really in the, in the mood to chat because I've just cycled 2,200 kilometers to get there so I'm a bit uh, dismissive but anyway so he gets to um like a random corner where there's some police like directing traffic um and he turns off the side and says, oh, no, the police say we can't go to the Taj Mahal anymore. The, um, yeah, the, it's VIPs only. The entrance is closed. The entrance is closed. Everyone needs to go over to the other side of the Taj Mahal. And uh, that's where I'd been. I tried to get there on my bike so I could take a photo um, of the bike when me and the Taj Mahal. There's a park basically on the other side of the river. It's about half an hour away by car or by bike or whatever. And... Um, uh, I tried to go there, but they wouldn't let me take my bike to take a photo. So I cycled back, got in the rickshaw. I thought I was going to go to actually see the Taj Mahal itself. But I was really tired and I was just like, oh, whatever, go. So he ends up taking me all the way across the river to the Taj Mahal, waiting, taking me back. As soon as I get over to the park, the park's on the other side of the river. That's where I took the photo. It's on Instagram. It's amazing. It's beautiful. You can see the whole Taj Mahal. But as soon as I got there, I looked over and you could see hundreds and hundreds of people were in the Taj Mahal, <laughs> like there was still an hour and a half until it closed, and uh, got back into the the rickshaw. He drove me back, ended up charging me three hundred and fifty rupees, which is uh, seven times what the ritual should have been to get me to the Taj Mahal. And uh, like, yeah, even just had the cheek to ask me for an extra fifty when I was getting out. It's just like no way, mate. <laughs> and uh, so you didn't you didn't remonstrate with him. You didn't argue with him. No, well, no, at that point, I just, uh, I just resigned to the fact that I was going to, I don't know, I, d I didn't have the energy to, to argue at that point. I, d I only realised that. Sounds very, it sounds very English of you. Well, the thing is, like, I've spoken to so many people on, um, or, or a couple of people that I've met over the course of the last few months, and actually, a video that's coming out from my kind of, um, the road, the vlogs, I suppose, I've been doing of my of my actual cycling. I had a bit of a rant because I I met a couple of people that had really been really like heavily like taken advantage of. I'd met this um, this young guy who came over like like nineteen twenty years old doing the kind of backpacking gap year thing. Arrives in uh, in Mumbai, and I only real I only found out again from one of these videos that if you leave the airport in India, you're not allowed back in. You have to, yeah, you can't go into the arrivals. Like in the UK, you can go into arrivals, right, and meet people there, and you can come in and out once you're, you can't go back in through pass to security or whatever, but you can stay in the airport terminal. And inside the terminal, that's where all of the taxi, official taxi booking places are, that you get a pre-booked receipt with the amount, and then you get to the taxi, and then like they'll charge you that amount. But as soon as you go outside, you can't actually get in to get an official taxi. And so all of these guys wait outside to find tired looking tourists and we'll put them in a taxi, charge 10 times as much. And then what they did with this guy is they took him to the, um, oh, it was a couple actually, sorry. They took them, started driving the taxi 
and then they get somewhere nearby, exactly what happened to me, and they say, oh, oh, sorry, yeah, your hotel doesn't open for another two hours, like complete BS. No, they're open, they're hotels, they have reception 24 hours a day. And then they go, come to this, come to this um, tourist office, the, the official tourist office, and uh, they'll help you, and then we'll take you to the hotel when it's open. So you go to the tourist office, which is all a private thing. There's like one government tourist office in each city, but this will be just their mate's one. And then... Um, and then they tried to get this couple, basically, they had some, they were basically going to backpack around, fly, book their own buses, book their own trains, which is perfectly normal. Like thousands of people do it. It's a normal way like you can backpack around India. They were like, oh no, you can't do that. You have to give us all your money now and we'll book everything for you. We'll drive you around in a private car and book all of your hotels for you through our thing. And luckily they just said, they were too tired. We're going to go and walked off. And a similar thing happened again. Like a really young, like young girl came in over. Like I met from from Germany. She was like, um, she'd managed to get all the way from the airport to the metro station by her hostel, which is pretty impressive to be honest. Because I find that hard anyway. Like and this is the day after arriving after like a ten hour flight, twelve hour flight. She'd got so close, a ten minute Google Maps walk. And so she was walking through the from the route and then she just had to go through an underpass below a station and so there's a security guard there who um basically said oh no you have to go and get a ticket from this from the tourist office to go through this uh this underpass again total bs it's like a public underpass and apparently got really aggressive and was like shouting and just really up sounds really upsetting to me like i would find that upsetting uh, even after being here for like six uh, five months let alone if i just arrived at the plane and again, yeah, went to this unofficial tourist office, got overcharged massively for all the train tickets that she was going to take for the for the rest of the trip. And uh, yeah, I just the people, luckily, though, like those people that I met, have all been really, still really enjoy being in India and want to stay and want to come back. But I've definitely met people that have told me that they're never going to come back, or they just they've had like a really terrible, terrible time in the country. So um, yeah, it's a really, it can be really hard hard uh, thing to deal with i think it definitely puts off uh, well, maybe maybe your bad attitude that you described you arrived with was was handy and uh, maybe you would have been ripped off a lot more, more. than your taxi ride yeah so uh, i just yeah. think i think there's one born every minute and you know you, you you can't be ripped off unless you let yourself get ripped off and yes they were tired and there's all these factors and obviously the guys are going to be experts at doing it but at the end of the day they lost a bit of money. Doesn't yeah, that's true. mean that much. No. You, you hear some horrendous horror stories. I mean, a, a, the German girl, got, you know, traveling by herself and getting shouted at by that guy. I mean, that's not nearly as bad as some of the stories you, you do hear. Um, maybe not things done to tourists, but to, to, to women in India, there's some horrific stuff. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Well, that's a really interesting thing that I've noticed as well, just meeting and making like young Indian friends is that, um, there's the the majority of like the Indian friends that I've made uh, through you know places I've been like being in Goa, being in Mumbai, being in Delhi and, and Bangalore and big cities. They're all super modern liberal young people. Like they've got the same attitudes in a lot of ways to that we have or that a lot of young people do around the world. But the culture that you're in here is that they've grown up in is very very different. And one of the ways that I noticed that is um, there's this hotel chain here. Well, it's not a hotel chain. It's a hotel app called Oyo, which um, 
which is basically like it's as if one of those booking apps like booking.com or um Trivago or whatever if they actually branded the hotels themselves um, right it'd be the same thing so like you go through a here's the app if you go through any city there's like all these basically mum mum and pop that's a very american thing to say um hotels have big they've rebranded as oyo which is an interesting concept but anyway one of the things that they're doing which i find fascinating is that they're basically they're they've created a market for kind of uh for privacy because what i've heard again and again from the friends that i've made is that you have it's very hard to get privacy in india um there's obviously there's just so many more people here but um equally it's just if the culture is very different like obviously i'm a tourist so when i stop somewhere there's instantly a kind of crowd of people looking at me but um that's just true in general like wherever you go people are very interested in your your business and what you're doing and that's doubly hard for kind of relationships and, and sex and um that like young people in india that i've met like are very similar to us like they have they're having relationships before marriage all this kind of stuff but it's just not the culture is really kind of almost like a couple of generations back in the uk like my parents um my grandparents were really upset when i was born and my sister was born and my parents weren't married right or they never were never married so um that's the kind of culture that exists here so what oyo's done is kind of monetized privacy and i i found it really i wish i got a photo but i went to one of these oyo hotels and it's got like um behind the door with a lock it's got like this big sticker that says swipe to swipe to engage privacy mode or something so they're kind of using this idea that like um if you want to have if you want to like go out with someone in india you're not going to take them back to your parents house or whatever you need to get away and so um they actually have check box in the app which is like accepts unmarried couples basically couple friendly i think it's called and they've got this privacy mode you know like being able to have a lock on the door and those things um which is just so different to, to the way I was brought up, but I think it's fascinating to see. Well, it's very different here, I'll tell you that. <laughs> what, in, in Japan? Yeah, you've got love hotels. Mm, I found that um, fascinating. <clears throat> yeah. Um, uh, how do I... So, but that's not... Because that... families, there's still a quite a traditional family structure, though, in Japan, right, then? Oh, the, fa- the facade of it is there, yeah, but like... Um, it's also much more, like, dirty in a way. <laughs> like, if you go to certain districts in uh, Shinjuku or whatever, you can find some pretty pretty risque uh, like shops and stuff. I don't know how big the sex industry is or the hostess industry is, but, you know, I'm, I'm learning a lot about... Um, basically, my first night in Tokyo, which was this time last year, uh, I did end up in a love hotel, so I have first-hand experience. And my <laughs> my friend had said, as we were kind of walking to the club through Shibuya, he's like, "Oh, you're going to end up here like later on, blah blah blah." And ironically, mainly because he like disappeared with my jacket, um, and I didn't have phone reception. Uh, I, I ended up, you know, in a love hotel with a very nice girl um, who turned out to be married um, and seemed fairly used to the love hotels and how they work um there's a few things that go on um i think there's a lot of people that stay in loveless marriages uh probably for numerous reasons that are still the same in in london um 
it's very expensive to live anywhere so you know economically if you want to stay in tokyo you might have to stay in your relationship um there the, the men kind of just detach from the women and would rather play computer games or read comic books um and be be in this kind of uh unreal world um they obsess over these kind of schoolgirl pop stars um and they like going to hostess bars where a woman will tell them that they're wonderful and handsome and, and funny and, and all these things. Um, and it's not like prostitution. It's kind of more like sugar daddyism, but essentially it's like prostitution, but it takes time and it, it, it's, it's odd. And then what, one of the other interesting things is I'm obsessed with everyone. A lot of people seem to wear these face masks. Um, yeah. Yeah. And there seem to be so many reasons why um and uh, women including that woman who came to the love hotel she said she likes to wear it because she can go out without wearing makeup if she needs to just go down to the shop down the road she can just put it on go out without makeup oh, no, so she's traveling traveling on the train um in in rush hour and all the she says all those kind of horrible um middle-aged businessmen the the salary men if you will yeah. uh are kind of pressing themselves up or, or like kind of encroaching on her personal space so it gives her some sort of barrier. However, there is also the element of the um, the women, the, the, the hostesses, the sex workers. Um, they don't want to be seen in the street. So a lot of them will move around and will wear the face mask so that they're, they're not identified by um, people they know, clients, like anything. You know, they just need to move kind of fairly discreetly and, and, and hidden. So you do have a number of murky under things and I'm not saying any other cities any different it's just that I'm start it's my third visit so I'm starting to kind of see more things like this and um it's it's interesting it's interesting and and staying with someone who's lived here for 13 years is and he has a very very kind of clear understanding of of how things work or don't work here um yeah. it helps it's it's yeah, it's an it interesting one it is like from the from this just the glancing the surface it seems like japan has a really um repressed kind of sexual culture in a way because of the fact that it seems everyone's painfully polite yet then like if you go to a like a magazine store there'll be like an entire floor of the work like the worst porn that you could ever imagine in comic book form but i it, it would be intriguing to me just to learn so much more about it because I've only been to Japan for about a month, um, and which is not even, I mean, think by the time I left, I'd only just kind of started to be able to open my eyes to, to some other parts of, of Japanese culture because it's just so inscrutable to me anyway, personally, just because I've got no, well, got some kind of cultural and technological reference points, but very little cultural reference points to, to Japan. Um, even just on the top level, I found it so, like the, even the, the music there, the music industry there is entirely uh, it's like 80% uh, um, local music, right? It's a lot of Japanese music and it's still like 90% CD at the time I went there, but anyway. Um, so even just that, even just the music culture was entirely, um, entirely different when I went. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few points there. Like, um, firstly, Tokyo is this megalopolis. I'm in one city, uh, Shinjuku, and I can cycle down the road in about 10, 15 minutes and I'll be in another city, Shibuya. Um, and then there's Roppongi and, and, you know, all these other cities and they've all 
kind of become connected. They're all merged. So it's this huge collection of cities. And it's obviously not a true reflection of the rest of Japan. And when I went down to Kyoto, and I've only been to Kyoto like two different days, two different visits, I started to realize how much more chilled out and kind of calm and, and sophisticated um, it is in certain ways from the music that they have, um, just, just everything, just, you know, the, it's not so built up. Um, Osaka has its own vibe as well. You've got all these different cities. So I'm, I'm trying to, I'm going to spend a week traveling around a bit um, again on a, on a Japan rail pass. And um, I've actually got a gig in Nagano. I've got, I'm going to be going up a mountain again, um, get a day snowboarding and a DJ gig. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be cool. I don't know if I'm going to try and find those pesky snow monkeys again because I failed back in October. But um, what are these? Uh, snow monkeys. There, there are these snow monkeys that I went up to try and see, and the day that I went, they weren't around. It oh. wasn't really cold enough. There, there were there's some hot water springs, and these kind of nature reserve people have been since like I think the 80s. They've realised that if they feed the, the the monkeys that live around on the mountains they'll come down and they'll bathe in the springs and people can kind of just, you can just kind of hang in a certain area and, and film them, but you, you can't look at them dead in the eyes and you have to kind of not, don't fuck with the monkeys basically. <laughs> but the yeah. monkeys will fuck with each other in front of you. I've, I've noticed that. <laughs> That's interesting. My... Yeah, I've spotted a lot of monkeys that have become a regular sight on the, on the road here. And uh, I've seen a lot of like um, signs with, here i love one of the things i love about india is how all of a lot of the signs are kind of hand painted but they'll have uh, ones in the national parks where they're like there'll be a tourist standing like a stick figure tourist here and a monkey and then there'll be like an arm going towards the monkey and then there'll just be bloody chaos in the third frame of the picture so i've gathered from that that you shouldn't try and like touch the monkeys or feed the monkeys or whatever in uh, in india not that i would want to, to be honest. yeah and actually um i did i did see I spent a month in the Philippines visiting my dad before I came here and uh, he lives in this beautiful island called Sikihor um, and I've realised more and more as I've travelled more around the Philippines how untouched his island is and how rare that is and, and it's kind of not been ruined by tourists yet. Backpackers come through and enjoy the diving and the um, sunsets and a few other things that island has to offer but I went to another neighbouring island called Bohol and um, they, we, we kind of got ripped off, like, we, but we went up to see the Tarsier, which is this like tiny, tiny little, I guess it's still a monkey. It's got these massive eyes. It kind of, it's just up at night normally and it sleeps in the day. It's got, it's got hands like frogs and it's got a tail like a rat and it's tiny. I know what you and mean. It, yeah. Super, super cute, super cute. Cool? And like a Tarsier. T-A-R-S-I-E-R -E I managed to get a really cool t-shirt of one and it's like it looks like it's smiling on the t-shirt and then um, and I wore it I wore it um, as soon as I got here I had like I think I was here two days and then I had my uh, show on Domune and I wore it on that which I thought was quite fun to kind of put something kawaii something cute uh, on into Domune yeah so what are you what are you do you are you there on hoxton fm business you've been going to japan a lot lately 
Um, I, I'm kind of initially it was to visit Japan because I've always wanted to, and because I was visiting the Philippines and it's not much further. Um, making the contacts over here is one thing, but you have to kind of follow up, and video calls aren't really so great. And and the opportunity to stay with someone here makes it a lot more appealing. Yeah. But I've been kind of exploring things. I've filmed a number of interviews. Um, the first Domian show I did um, back in October, I featured two interviews, one with a French guy who is absolutely obsessed with uh, Japanese house music from the 80s and 90s, a guy called Browther, uh, who releases some amazing house and, and techno music. Um, I had that interview of him and an interview with... Uh, a very talented local artist called Sasaki Hiroaki. Uh, I featured both of those interviews on my Domin show, and then I had, I had a DJ set with my friend Nick. Um, and this visit back, I wanted to do another uh, show, and I had filmed a whole load of other interviews on my first two visits. So with the help of my new uh, editing assistant and camera, camera uh, professional, uh, Alex Lawler, shout out to him. Um, I've got two more interviews cut together and featured those. And um, I was actually, you saw it on the show, the uh, the guy who runs Domune, who kind of sits at the back doing all the visual editing, um, he picked up the mic from his back, his booth and kind of like the voice of God started asking questions to my interpreter um, and to me and referred to me as Dan Chan. Which, yes, um, Japanese that. Japanese have told me is very cute as well. So I think it was the T-shirt that uh, helped <laughs> with that. That's so um, good. And and obviously he was asking these questions like, oh, what, you know, what are you doing? And I I feel like um, it, it's hard for people back home to really understand like why I didn't go and get another studio. And I've I've kind of realised that it doesn't matter how I explain it; it just doesn't make sense to them. Um, they, they see like I built something up that was like 100 shows, uh, half a million viewers and listeners every month. Uh, why would you throw all that away? But the reality is it took seven years to do that. And I could see what was happening and what what people are maybe realizing now is um, live streaming through Facebook, YouTube, Periscope on Twitter, um, even the Mighty Chew TV. Um, it's not what it was because it's becoming so saturated and everyone can live stream themselves and to watch DJs just DJ, um, whether it's from, even if it's from, you know, Domune's amazing setup with their amazing cameras and everything, that there's only so much scope there for that. And um, I really felt like it was as much as Hoxton FM had been showcasing uh, that part of East London and the talent that um, resides there to the world. I think it was now kind of more about exploring the world and, you know, taking things to another level, taking, having more interviews, um, which have gone out on Domune. But of course, everything we put out on Domune is also going out on our channels, Hoxton, F Hoxton Forward Movement, Forward I should refer yeah. to it now. Um, I'm kind of realising that I can set up pop-ups at any time I want. I probably need to kind of at some point announce that this is all about a forward movement probably drop Hoxton from the name and I, I feel like yeah I think if, if it becomes forward movement and then wherever we are so if it's forward movement Shibuya or whoever we collaborate with so it might be forward movement Domune or forward movement uh, Lot Radio which is an amazing radio station in New York um, 
I think it's all about like that. It's about kind of celebrating a specific place and uh, trying to collaborate and, and partner with um, people that I think are doing amazing things and showcase uh, the, the local talent there. Um, I, I'm trying to explore with Domune whether, because their, their shows are very Japanese centric. It's, everything is in Japanese. All the interviews I did had to uh, be transcribed translated and subtitled mm. um there's a great youtube service for that by the way Ooh, uh, that. uh you can basically upload a video onto youtube and if if so the interviews i did were all in english um it will transcribe them and turn that into subtitles and you can download a kind of dot it's like a dot txt file but it's a dot srt file okay and it comes up and it has the time and then it has the text and um what so you i did because it, it's automated i assume yeah um your your mic's going funny again i don't know if you need to oh. mute and unmute um but uh what i did was i sent it to the interviewees and i made them translate from the english into japanese um not least because the the reggae uh guy that i interviewed leo or javanese from uh, direct impact he's basically a Japanese Rastafarian. So he speaks with the kind of Jamaican Patois. Um, and I was thinking, how could I get anyone to translate that better than him? He's going to know how to, to, to get it into Japanese in a way that's understandable. So um, I, th I think, you know, doing something from here, live streaming or, or videos or interviews, um, but focused on an international audience. So in English, would be really great and i'd love to really kind of uh bring some of the best parts of domune shows uh out of that kind of japanese centric broadcast and put them onto something that an international audience can enjoy and understand more and maybe demystify um each place that i visit a bit more i i just really am enjoying being here and um i probably i think i might have said this before I probably would have had some sort of nervous breakdown if I'd have carried on running Hoxton FM the way I was. Yeah. Uh, ha hats off to the team, everyone that volunteered, that put their time in and everything. But I felt it had run its course. And, and I'm the sort of guy that I will never give up on something until it's like, until someone says to me, you know, you just really need to step away. But this is probably the first time in my life where I've said, this is, this is the time to just walk yeah. off into the sunset, so to speak. And, um, take things to the next level and I you know I have been for years filming interviews and I feel like I've got a really good back catalogue of great interviews you know um but there some are up like uh, the interview with Derek May you know Godfather of Techno um DJ Premier one of the best uh hip-hop uh, producers of all time um you know we've, we've we've done we've done some really interesting interviews uh, uh Gordon Mack the founder of Kiss FM um you know there's 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 a lot of good ones but i actually am really really interested in um people who are staying kind of pure or true to their creative uh ethos and and ethics and not selling out and not doing what they need to do or what they think they need to do to to make it um and i think a lot of people see success and they see it as being some effortless fortuitous uh lucky thing that's happened to someone and i'm really really keen on doing some interviews that highlight 
where people have come from. So really trying to get them to um, be quite vulnerable in the way they answer the question, but to say, you know, my lowest low was at this point and the way that I progressed out of it and got to the point I'm at now is by doing X, Y, and Z and really kind of sharing a bit of their soul. And, and I just feel that so many people, not just creative people, but so many people out there, they feel um, depressed or down or anxious or whatever. And I think a lot of it is through their expectations and how they feel they should act and how they feel they should be, um, uh, what, the, what sort of person they should portray themselves as, whether it's in real life or on social media. Uh, and I think it doesn't have to be like that. And, and just people bearing a bit of their souls and showing, showing you know, that they went through some tough times to get to where they are, I think it would be very sobering for a lot of other people and, and um, a good thing. So I'm, I'm kind of starting to focus on these interviews. Um, I'm also doing a lot of these record shop visits. At the moment, I'm calling them Wax Hunter, and I do them, them electronic music shop visits as well, which I'm calling Synth Hunter. Um, nice. I don't know if Hunter is such a great term. Mm -hmm. I'm, not, I'm not wearing a pith hat or, a blunder, or carrying a blunderbuss, but, um, uh, you know, if you say digger or enthusiast or something or obsessive, it, it kind of they all paint different kind of pictures. But um, I'm trying. To, it's it's an opportunity to use the 360 camera and just kind of walk in. I've realized when I started, it was like, I'll go and ask permission and then I'll go in and I'll, I'll do an interview with the person behind the counter and they'll pick a record and I'll pick a record. And now it's just like, no, I'm just going to run the camera from outside, walk in holding it walk around smiling um if i see anything of real note whether it's a release or kind of certain unique things i'll try and zone in on them and just do that and then record a voiceover afterwards and uh, nice. i was gonna say yeah. live or or uh record it i think i think i think i'm trying to think about what i would like so if i'm going to visit a city and someone's put up a video that shows all the shops they really loved that they visited along with their honest interpretations of their experience of that shop. So yeah, I went here. Um, I really liked the selection, but they only let you listen to three records at a time. It can be kind of weird because there's no one behind you, but you have to listen to three records and then give them back and then hand them another three records. And then they open them for you yeah. and then give you them back. And um, you know, that the, there's certain, there's certain shops of this in the same um there's there's i'm gonna say there's basically uh a chain of shops called disc union and the one in shibuya is okay but like a little bit kind of a little bit uppity it's like five or six floors of all sorts of different music um not a great selection of music that i like but i i tend to go there and look and then say why did i come here again um <laughs> i went to the shinjuku one and they wouldn't even let me listen to the music wow. and and they weren't rude about it but the, the, no one will ever be rude to you in Japan, but they won't be, they, they can kind of pretend to be nice, but it's a bit fake to be honest. Uh -huh. So I was just like, okay, I've spent all this time looking for these records. You won't let me listen to them. So I'm not going to buy them. And they looked at me like, okay. And I gave them back and it's, it's just that, that <laughs> thing. And um, uh, I'm going to forget what it's called, but I, I was going to another shop uh, uh i think it's in a place called let me just double check because otherwise i'll say it completely wrong um i went to this shop called jet set 
which has taken the Pan Am logo and hijacked it and just written Jet Set in there, which is absolutely amazing. Like, I love it. Uh, yet they won't sell me a T-shirt. They don't have any T-shirts with that no. logo on. Well, because you should just rip it off. <laughs> I'm going to rip it off. They ripped it off, so I'll rip it off. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's like sampling hip hop. Yeah, exactly. Um, Use it for inspiration. Shimo Shimo Kitazawa. So that's a a particular area. That's where Jet Set Records was. But there's also a Disc Union which I happened to cycle past, and I thought, even though my experience in the other two chains wasn't great, I'm going to give this one a go because people say they're all different. And I went in and it was amazing. It's just like I found I found a record that um, I never thought I'd find that is I paid 20 pounds for it. But you can't get it for less than 60 on Discogs if you can even get it. Uh, and it's in immaculate condition. Um, I found a whole bunch of other records and it's like open. It was open till like 930 or 10 o'clock at night. Um, Are they all had the three characters in? Is that do you think that are they all run independently? uh this is what i'm not sure about someone did say that to me i'll I'll double check and find out for when i put my video together but um they that was a really really good shop and like this is the thing is is it's big it's really big it had loads of jazz loads of uh soul loads of other stuff and you've got a lot of enthusiasts going there but you've also got quite a lot of staff um and it's something i've noticed in in Japan, they seem to be kind of employing a lot of people when they don't necessarily need that many people. Or you'll see a lot of kind of older guys working with like a, almost like a kind of uh, high vis jacket and a yeah. patch on. They're basically you know, like, drones, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, but there's like five of them to, to yeah. help a, a vehicle back out of some sort of loading bay. Um, I found that. See, even more the case in the Philippines, actually. There's like like six people in a fast food joint just standing there looking like they've got nothing to do. And I guess it's I guess it's because there's subsidies or there's there's uh, you know it's cheap employment. But um, it's a very interesting observation to kind of make. Anyway, I'll just I'll quickly say I'm going to put together a video for each city, uh, just with all the experiences. I'll probably put out little bite-sized kind of social media. Um, it bits and experiences but i'm going to make these videos for for people like me so if i wanted to see a video on a whole bunch of shops to go to i think i'd love this and it's just me walking through voiceover honest experience i don't have to be nice or nasty because i'm not saying it in the shop um but i'll give my honest opinion just like i have with these headphones or anything else because i'm i'm independent and that's what hoxton fm always was and and that's what i enjoy being um, I have no idea how I make money out of doing it, but I just really, really enjoy doing it. And I don't think it's about making money out of it. It's about um, getting a greater understanding of, of, of these cultures and getting inspiration for making music myself, making new contacts, getting gigs in places like Nagano. And um, the live video streaming seems to be going pretty well because Fabric just uh, uh, brought me in to, to do a live stream for them. Um, I've actually got a, a business partner doing another one for them in two days, and then I think we're doing a whole bunch more this year. So, um, and that's something other... you never do with Chew. So you've really, uh, really won a big one there. Well, you know, it, it, it is like it is like hitting a home run, getting to work with such a, an amazing place like Fabric, and um, you know, it, it's. Uh, 
I, I hope more things come of it. I think there's there's other stuff I'm being asked to do. There's things, I mean, I can tell you, like, uh, probably won't matter, but I, I'm going to be doing a lot of filming <clears throat> for um, the House of Speedo. So there's all these brands that are setting up ahead of the Olympics and they're kind of getting their amazing venues to, to base themselves and to uh, run these, these parties. Um, and I've got to do the walkthrough video for that. That might never see the light of day. I might never be able to show anyone it, but yeah. getting these opportunities to do these things and, um, you know, getting to use my, my getting better with my cameras and um, playing around with the 360 camera, even just strapping that thing to a bike, as you know, and yeah. just riding around with it, the footage you can get is is great. Um, yeah, yeah. I've, I've got I've got cutaways for days. <laughs> it's definitely good. Um, sorry, I just went off on one there. Um, <laughs> that's all. Good. That's all. That's all my stuff. Uh, you didn't. So you cycled the whole of India, and you you were talking about this place, or Oroville. Oroville, yeah, yeah. It's um, about that. Well, before I left um, the UK, I've been quite interested in alternative living or, you know, well, communes effectively and different kind of ways to live. I've not really been able to ever afford a proper flat in London. So I've lived in, I can't remember whether I told you about this, but I lived in guardianship places, which are like um, disused buildings. So I've lived in nursery school yeah you, you lived in a didn't you live in a, like a lift shaft in a boiler room oh and then in the end there then i just for a while i um a friend of mine owned it or was was uh in control of an office building in old street so i lived on the roof of that in the lift engine room for about six months um rent free thank you very much and um <laughs> lived in, yeah i've lived in um these big warehouses in hackney which are kind of not quite sure how legal they are. They're um, they've got fire alarms, so it's probably a good thing. But you're sharing with 16 other people or something. Um, so I've been, as I've gone around, I've kind of been interested in stopping in places that are are, uh, are alternative ways to live, effectively. And Auroville is something that I've learned a lot about. It's it's kind of one of those original 70s um, kind of communes, effectively. But it's very very different in a way. It was. It's got, a, it's got a small kind of religious base in that it was founded by um, a, a kind of a, a political thinker called Sri Aurobindo, who gives it its name, Oro. Um, and you're crackling, you're crackling again. Uh, you just started crackling again. I don't know what it is because I'm not using a particular microphone. It's probably... Um, it's been shorted out somewhere. How about now? No, it's doing it again. I mean, I would w almost wonder whether it's mine, but I don't think yeah. it is. I think mine just uh, is it inaudible, or should I just carry on? Or... Uh, it's it's possible. It might it might. I mean, we'll find out after this broadcast whether it's yeah. uh, any good. We'll I tell you what, what I'm going to do just as a test, um, I am going to. Uh, I'm going to go off camera and just. I'm sorry about this. I'm just going to quickly change my audio and maybe it won't crackle. So just talk again. Yeah. So <laughs> I went to uh, I went to Oroville finally after about seven months of um, of trying to of thinking about going there, and uh, I was on the way in the way only about a 500 kilometer detour from. Um, from where I was cycling already. So I spent about a week there in, uh, 
I stayed in a kind of one of the central guest houses there. And uh, I went on this program called Experience Auroville, which is actually really, really worthwhile because the community, is, it was started with the sort of UNESCO, the backing of UNESCO in 1968. And the idea was to make a global city where with 50,000 residents from all around the world, where everyone was working with new forms of government and new forms of of how to how to build and how to live sustainably and all these kind of things that were were fashionable in the 70s but are also quite important uh, in a way now and so yeah it's it's a very interesting place because it's actually legally recognized by an act of parliament in india as a specific as a special city um interesting to what similar to what we were talking about before about visas for a lot of countries and, and becoming residents becoming a resident of a lot of countries is actually impossible if not hard um i know i think it's in in china you, you even if you marry marry a, a native citizen you can never actually become a citizen yourself and it's similar in india even if you marry an, an indian resident you you don't don't become a resident you don't ever become a resident but um Auroville is the only place which you can actually become an official Indian resident if you're from anywhere in the world. If you go through that specific kind of joining processes in a way and um, end up as a member there, you can, you can do it. But so far they've got to about, it's interesting, yeah, the idea is to be a kind of anarchist, semi-anarchist community. They've reforested this whole area of desert in the south of India that it now just looks like a very lush forest. It's incredible. Um, but there's definitely a lot of problems there that everyone's so independent that they really, it takes them so long to make any decisions. There was, there were aims to get to 50,000 people over the last, um, over the last, since the seventies, over the last 50 years, they've made, they've got 3000, 3000 citizens, 2000 members. And uh, in the same amount of time, the surrounding little villages, the Indian villages that were just huts, a few huts before have cumulatively now a population of 50,000. So they've got a lot of challenges with ownership of the land and water and um, they hire labourers from the local villages and they still have issues with local government and things like that. But they've definitely succeeded in creating a pretty amazing community there. It's, the, it's one of these places where I've definitely, uh, I sometimes I struggle with the kind of hippie, hippie attitude to life. But um, as soon as I arrived in, in Oroville, I just, I've never felt so at home really after after the seven months that I've uh, that I've been on the road to that up until that point, um, everyone, there's such an international community and everyone's incredibly open in a way. You can literally just sit somewhere in guest house or in a in one of the sort of communal kitchens or communal cafes or whatever, and within half an hour you can meet a guy um, who's lived there since the 70s who's like built up this thing. You can meet someone who's who's a trained arc. Um, architect who's now working in an organic farm you can now you can uh yeah there's uh there's such a crazy attracts such a crazy group of people i have to say which is its benefit and again it's curse in a way everyone's uh, got their what own do idea you, what, what do you um what do you mean about the you know you said about like most places hippie places you go to you kind of um end up getting a bit frustrated by it what what is it that frustrates you what is it that didn't I think, frust you know what was it that, that, that meant that it didn't get frustrating there i think the thing that i struggle with a little bit it with 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 that attitude, the certain attitude to life is um 
I feel, I think the term is probably, it's a bit woo-woo. I don't know if that makes sense. Like, I, I feel like there's certain characters that you meet that are very, that are attracted to that kind of lifestyle, so a very hippie lifestyle, who kind of don't acknowledge some realities of what it is to live in a way. Um, do you mean, do you mean, like, I would call them on, like, I would call them scenesters, people who just kind of latch on to something. Um, they're kind of fair weather. Um, and they don't necessarily fully subscribe to everything. They're just kind of there for the good times. Uh, I, I think almost the opposite in a way. It's, I, I find that there's a certain character that's like, you know, if you, if you just manifest your, if you believe enough, you will manifest your, your desires in reality and all this kind of stuff. And, um, I just believe too much that in the fact that you have to be a bit practical sometimes and, you know, work towards your goals. I don't, I'm being a bit, a bit generic here, but um, yeah, I feel like there's certain attitudes in, in the hippie community that are a little bit just hard to understand. I think the specific example would be, <clears throat> um, I mentioned the two founders. There's this, there's this Sri Aurobindo character and there's the mother who's this um, French remember what her other nationality is but anyway um french woman half french woman who started the the um the community and so there's some texts sri aurobindo texts and they're um they're they they're very i i don't know if you read anything like this any sort of any kind of scripture style um books but there's just so little substance to to what what they're trying to say i wish i'd written down some quotes now but it's very it's kind of almost like reading if you there's a you, there's a whole books you know about about the kind of the um um the ethos of, of the founding of the of the commune or whatever but it's all written it's almost all written like a horoscope in a way in that the language is quite purposefully in my opinion anyway quite purposefully opaque and very airy fairy and windy and you can read a lot into it which is the idea so that Everyone can read into that what they um, what they will. It's kind of like the worst cake, worst example of the self help um, genre of books, where it's all about believing in yourself and blah, blah blah. Whereas in reality, you know, people you can believe in yourself as much as you want, but if you don't have luck or opportunity, you'll never become um, become like Bill Gates or whatever. You know, if you weren't didn't go to Stanford and you weren't born in the US, if you were born in another country however much positive thinking you have, you can never overcome the adversity that you have in your life. And that's what I struggle with some of the attitudes in hippiness, self-helpiness and these kind of uh, scripture, like uh, spiritual, very kind of spiritual written books. Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. I mean, yeah, you know who that, you know who those books are targeting. That's the thing, isn't it? And um, I do remember that sometimes, like, I mean, I don't mind them existing in a way and, the only time I find it uncomfortable is when you you meet people that you feel like there's some vulnerability there. Um, I was watching a Vice video about uh, a, a kind of a self-help guru who's got a big following now. And it's just like you, there's very, you can see the people that come to those events. And this is, this is a bit different to Oroville now. There's a lot of strong independent people there in Oroville, but there are a lot of vulnerable people that get attracted to that kind of, uh, that kind of, um, yeah, I mean, you've got loads and loads of um, cults and sects and things 
over here in Japan, there's a lot of lost people. And actually a lot of foreigners get kind of sucked into them because they come here and then they feel very lonely because they kind of fall into the trap of thinking that the Japanese aren't friendly. But, you know, you have to be proactive and go out there and go and get what you want. But then there's this cult that will offer you, you know, a cup of tea and like some company and support. And then they have their weird generic texts and stuff. So, yeah, yeah. I, I actually think that the all the crackling and issues was my Flare Pro headphones. Oh no! <laughs> so I wonder whether you should plug yeah. your mic back in. Oh, should I? Should I give it a go? Um, I sw- I switched mine off and on again, and then it, everything's fine now. And whilst I switched them off, everything sounded good on the speaker of the the phone. So good. I will clip this on and see how it does. I've been I've got my brand sponsorship of this one would be Rode the Rode. Uh, mic. The only thing that I found is that it's not very bassy. I quite like, um, I've got quite a radio voice if I have a proper microphone, I, I'd like to say anyway. But um, if you put a bit of a bit of compression on and um, and boost up my the low frequency, I can sound like a radio host. But this is quite, lapel mic's quite tricky, I suppose, because they're pretty small. Um, so it's a bit more tinny than I'd expect. I've been recording some voiceovers for my new um, I've edited. We were talking about editing a few last podcast. I'm intrigued to see how how well you've done. I've I've actually. Well, I got. I brought in someone okay. to do it for me. Oh, that Great. would help. No, oh, that would help a lot. That's cheating. <laughs> I've managed still, to edit all to finish my it off. leg now. He did. He did ninety five percent, and I had to finish it off, and I had to add the subtitle, the final subtitles. Yes. But um, it it's great to have someone else involved. I I actually was meant to spend today um, cataloging my all my. Uh, video footage uh-huh. so at least i know what it is and he being a professional has given me all these tips on how to do it so my my recommendation would be if in any way you can bring a professional in to just assess what you're doing and how you're doing it they will add a lot of uh direction yeah that's an interesting point i definitely feel like um i've been trying to work on the structure a lot of the videos because they're very uh, i just because i wasn't editing as i went along especially the first leg across Europe, I just recorded myself, um, just what I felt like as I was going along and all these different clips. And so I realized when I came to edit it that I had no actual structure arc or any, or any story that tied the, the video together, which, it, which makes them quite wondering sometimes to watch. But as I've edited now, I'm, I've finished all of the turkey leg um, last, <laughs> last week. The turkey leg. The turkey leg. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, we've got sunset now. Yeah, I'm, I should open this. It's it's coming, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Uh, I'll, next I'll time I'm going to use my phone so I can uh, I can take you to I can show you the Delhi skyline, but uh, maybe the Nepalese mountains, I suppose, next time. The most important thing is is a fast internet connection, right? As long as you've got the, the Wi-Fi or something, yeah, you'll be you'll be okay. But um, I think that it's definitely the way forward. I mean, obviously, we both have these 360 cameras, and I had this dream of of us both. Um, being able to walk around with those and then whoever's watching can actually move around and see, see what's going on. But maybe that's a bit too gimmicky, but definitely having, um, having uh, the mobility. I think it's going to be about the, the headphones and mics. And obviously I've had a little bit of a technical issue this time and I, maybe I can troubleshoot that. Yeah. Up, upgrade somewhere or, or remove any interference. I don't know why it intermittently comes and goes. Yeah. Um, have you had that on phone calls or just uh, just this? No, just listening to music, um, and this time. So, and I don't, I can't see anything that's start. You know, 
why it was just happening intermittently. It's not low on battery. It's not doing it now. A, a restart seems to solve it. But uh, I've got but, yeah, new ones, which uh, my headphone pick. These are for actually you might like these because you've been doing a lot more running. Actually, I got these because I quite like to listen to music while I'm running. I've got them for cycling as well. But they're um, the, obviously the main thing is obviously you don't really want to have full um, a full seal or noise cancelling at all when you're running. I tend to used to run just with one earphone in, which is okay, I suppose. But um, I got these Plantronics backbeat fit. These ones are uh, one of them I lost on the first day of cycling <laughs> when I left London. So I got my sister to send me some more of these um, when I met her last uh, on in um, in the summer last summer, and they're brilliant because they don't fully seal. They sort of cup go into your ear, but they cup. They sort of I can't really describe it, but they sit just over your not over your eardrum but over your ear hole <laughs> and then they they're really strong because i can't i don't really um i can't wear earbuds that just rest on your um on the outside of your ear because my ears don't have the particular thing that you yeah those headphones but these they'll go over the back like your ones do and then they also kind of hold themselves in with a little bit of a kind of spring there um and they're good but they do occasionally i've noticed um crackle but not for a long period of time, just like a little short, short period of time. So I don't know if that's a Bluetooth thing. I, if I walk away from my phone, it'll do it. Um, but, but sometimes even if I just put it in my pocket, I don't know if I've got very particularly dense, I don't know, stomach or something that's uh, interfering with Bluetooth. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to look into it more. Um, I do really, really like the way these flares sound. Mm. Um, that the, the you hear details that you don't normally hear with stuff. And I think they are, for the audio quality, they're really good. I've just got to stop the intermittent issue. And the one thing I would say is, is on a clearer day, you would have seen Mount Fuji on that skyline. No way. Which is, yeah, which is amazing, yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, so we're getting to the point where my son is going down. Yeah. <laughs> Well, um, we've been chatting for a while, so probably... What, what do, do we need to get. cover anything else? What, what have you got coming up, I guess, is the... Yeah. So I've got... I've been stopping quite a lot for work and that kind of things, but now I've actually got quite a lot of um, cycling to do, which is why I'm kind of quite annoyed that I've fucked my main chain or main chain ring because I'm going to have to cycle. I'm going to climb... I'm going into the Himalayas, so I was planning my route um, yesterday and I want to go into Spitty Valley, which is this incredible kind of dead end um, valley up to the Chinese border. Um, you climb four and a half thousand meters from the from the the foothills of the Himalayas up into the Himalayas proper, and then you can do a loop of about two hundred kilometers around um, and back out of the valley, uh, all above about three and a half four thousand meters. Um, I'm also going to be paragliding hopefully in the next couple of weeks. For a little bit in in Burbilling in in Himachal Pradesh in the um in the, again in the Himalayas, which will be incredible, uh, and then into Nepal as well. I'm most excited about it because I found this documentary um, that my dad sent me a good years and years ago, which is one of the main reasons I got into paragliding. It's um it's a documentary. I'll put it in the um in the I will actually put it in the description of the video. I tend to lie about that because i can't bother <laughs> but um but it's basically about these guys there's a there's a uh a, a, a lecturer or a, a researcher into eastern philosophy basically 
um, and he researched particularly kind of the uh, maybe the Hindu or the Buddhist. So Buddhism is more Nepalese, so maybe it was Hindu. But anyway, the the religion of of the Himalayas of those Himalayan regions, and he also so he just started getting into paragliding, and he met a kind of a real pro adventure paraglider, and so together they flew from Burr, where I'm going uh, in next week actually, and they flew up into the remote into these remote Himalayan temples, which you can only normally reach by s- several weeks of traveling on foot, and so they flew up. Uh, and landed in these remote villages and then made their way to this particular temple that he was studying. Um, and it's yeah, this hour long documentary, all filmed on big old cameras, cause it's quite old now. And uh, it just absolutely, you know, it got me hooked on the idea of learning how to, how to do that to the point where now I'm here with my, my paraglider in the bag um, on the back of my bike. So I, I'm, unfortunately I'm still a, quite a beginner in paragliding terms. So I'm not going to be going on any big, uh, big um big thermals well i'll be hopefully i'll be flying some in the thermals but i just won't be going there's a particular discipline called volbiv which is a weird um name but there's a lot of french people in uh in in paragliding so i think it's got french origin but it's basically you fly you take your kit you fly into the mountains you land you use your paraglider as a kind of uh makeshift tent sleeping bag you just wrap yourself up in it sleep overnight fly and you kind of hop your way around the mountains like that but um yeah i'm not quite at the point where i can go on multi-day expeditions yet but i will be flying in the foothills of the himalayas hopefully next week weather permitting uh and then i'll be in nepal my visa expires next month so the next time we we speak or the next time i'll be online properly we'll be either in pakara which is the main paragliding um spot in nepal or Kathmandu, which is the capital where i'll be working and getting my next visas and uh hopefully getting the <laughs> the bike fixed up properly um yeah so that's my that's my amazing plan. amazing that sounds amazing and i, I i'm quite um, intrigued by that documentary as well uh it sounds really really cool um so you'll not only be cycling on to ne- nepal but you'll be using none of your favorite gears yeah exactly well in a way it's it might be better because most of India so far has been relatively flat. I've been doing like 150 mile days, um, especially in central India, and there was very little climb. So that's why I use that main, that middle kind of cog, the middle gears really. But realistically, especially when I get into the Himalayas, it's going to be a lot of big climbs and a lot of big descents, which is actually okay because the two gears I've got are the, on the front are the very high and the very low gear. So it might yeah. work out. I might wear the rest of the gears down while I'm climbing, uh, climbing the mountains in the Himalayas. It's just a bit annoying if I have a big flat highway because I can't cruise in my best gears, basically. You're basically um, embracing the third world attitude to using stuff and wearing it into complete, completely destroying it and not stopping <laughs> using it until you've completely destroyed it, a yeah. la the tyres. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's been interesting. When I got the puncture, I uh, I could literally pull over and they've got the, there's me taking my inner tube out and then there's, you know, they've got yeah, a truck tire that they're just wedging off with a giant crowbar. And uh, they, they, I've never seen in England them fix punctures in, in, in a truck tire. No one fixed punctures, do they? Like, what happens if you get a puncture? You take, you put the spare on and then you drive it to a garage. But here there'll be people on the side of the road with a, 
an actual car in a tube or a truck in a tube, putting it under the water, all the stuff you do to fix a bike, uh, a bike tire puncture. So, um, yeah, I think it's nice that repairability element, I have to say, although I'm a bit annoyed about this, uh, this chain ring. It's nice to, it's a nice feeling. I think today I put some new brake pads on, I adjusted, uh, the gear cables and it's a nice feeling to be able to keep something going. I've also, my tent, I got a rip in my tent in the, in the Gore-Tex and also in the mosquito net. And so I've been, I sat here yesterday with my neat sewing needle and I was sewing the mosquito net back together. And it's just nice to have something that lasts for, for a long time. I'm hoping to live in that for three years and I'm hoping to keep riding that for three years as well. So it's nice you're when darning, you're darning your tent. Yeah. <laughs> and you didn't want to pay someone else to do it. Like you wanted to do it yourself. Uh, I've got the repair kit with me, so I feel like I want to do it myself. <laughs> that's really, that's really cool. That's really cool. I think you shouldn't be too hard on yourself. I think uh, we can all learn the lesson that um, you should change your chain regularly because a chain is what a tenner. Yeah, yeah, and there's, they're available everywhere. That's the main thing. Um, whereas the the chain rings I've learned painfully are not available in anywhere except Europe. So, and maybe Australia. So I'm going to have to yeah pay for that to be shipped in. But I'm, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a learning experience, isn't it? As everything in life is in a way I'm going to, yeah. I've already, because um in the summer, like as with last year, I'm meeting my family for a nice little holiday. I've already got a list of things that I'm uh, getting my sister to resupply. She's my HQ back in the UK. So, um, I've learned very quickly what spares I need and what I don't back to the, one of the first podcasts we did, actually I've thrown away so many or gifted so many things that um, I brought with me that I didn't think that I thought I needed, which I didn't. And now I'm finally starting to realize what I did need and that I didn't actually bring. Ah. So I've reached that point. So do we know your travel weight? Do you remember what your original travel (laughs) weight was and what it's got to now? Uh, Luckily, in a way, I haven't uh, got any scales with me. Otherwise, I think I would go. I think I go mad. I'm st- I'm, a- I'm adding stuff now, which is uh, uh, ridiculous. But uh, I mean, uh, at the end of this Oroville program, I've I was given a big book, and I made uh, one of my friends from Bangalore amazingly gave me a present, a book as a present, which I, I'm very thankful to to have. But now I'm carrying it around with me everywhere. So um, yeah, I'm not I'm not gonna even bother wearing anything unless I have to fly again. But, uh, and, will, and will you post those books home? Will you take them home at some point? You're going to drop them off at HQ with your sister or what? Well, that's it. Yeah, that's the great thing about being able to meet my family. Or, well, apart from the main <laughs> I family. I can dump all my family. shit on them. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to do a swap. So there's also even just, yeah, um, a book. Uh, one of the things that I'm interested in uh, is first aid, actually, because um, I've, I've injured myself, luckily not very badly, uh, but I've injured myself many times cycling, um, as is the nature of, of of doing that, of being on the road, of being being on a bike. But um, equally with paragliding, there's a, a higher chance than most of experiencing or being present when someone is injured. So one of the things I listened to a great podcast, um, Cloud Based Mayhem, which is a, a paragliding podcast, and there was a British doctor on there, which who um, he's an emergency medicine. Uh, doctor or an adventure medicine doctor if that's a thing and he so he go he's the the expedition doctor for you know for everest climbs or 
um, Arctic expeditions and that kind of thing. And he is also a paraglider pilot. So he did a course or a podcast where he talked about a lot of his, a lot of recommendations for what to do in the case that you witness uh, a paragliding crash and you have to help or you want to help. Um, and one of the things there is I'm, I'm hoping when I go back to Europe this summer to to go on an adventure uh, first aid course, but also he recommended a little book that you can stick in your back pocket of the paraglider. And so if you land, if you see someone crash and you want, you need to go and help them, you've got something there to kind of guide you through. I'm very keen on that. I don't know, even living in London, I don't know if you've seen this, but I've I've seen and helped someone who got hit by a bus and uh, someone that had, fell off a bike and all this kind of stuff. If you live in a city, you, you're in those situations where you're either the person that helps or you're the person that sort of walks by and feels terrible about it for the rest of the day. So, um, yeah. yeah, I was the, I was the second, I, uh, some guy in full, full, uh, tour de France regalia about two weeks after the tour de France had finished, um, on parliament square where I used to work the last, the last suit and tie job I had. Um, and he got both his legs run over by a articulated lorry oh, shit. Um, because he was pissing about with his clip-ons. And no, I've, no. I've used clip-ons since about two or three times and I've just sworn that I'll never use them again because it's just not worth it, not in a city. Um, Interesting. The, the and, thing and, with clip-ons is he, that he, they are they more reliable in a way. Wow, really? They, they, they air, he didn't know what he was doing and I don't know what I'm doing and I'm not prepared to take the risk in kind of getting to it. But I could see he was faffing about. I could see something was going to happen and I actually chose to look away. I didn't even realise that I did it. And then I could hear the screams. I heard this kind of the breaks in the screams. And um, I just walked away because I had to actually get a train to Nottingham for a meeting. Yeah. And I just thought, there's loads of people here. There's loads of police here, everything. that you know, I'm not going to distress myself by seeing something that I'll never be able to unsee. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and I did feel guilty about it. And actually, my friend Colin, the cycling enthusiast, I messaged him and said, can you check on the cycling forums? And he just said, yeah, there's a thread about it. And it's just everyone saying RIP, RIP, RIP. And um, then two weeks later, I spoke to him and I said, oh, I still feel really bad about that. And he went, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you, the guy's fine. He's got two broken <laughs> legs. He's got two broken legs, but he's going to heal perfectly. Uh, and, then, uh, and then he sent me this thing about, um, it was in the 60s or something, they, those, those big lorries. They, uh, the reason they have so many tires on each axle is to spread the weight. And yeah. Make the, uh, the the tires i think are articulated or something like it's like basically it's so clever the way it spreads the weight if you there's a pen and teller like um illusion that they do where they run over one of them oh, and, that's um, interesting. and they show so you, you that it's like obviously it's not ideal but it's uh yeah you're not gonna you're not gonna die like i thought the guy had but um he was wow. he was definitely he was definitely a newbie and he was definitely not concentrating and um yeah, yeah well that will get you in it i mean it's it's just also hard i've kind of uh i was really shocked a few days ago because one of the interviews that i did um the first actual interview i did without you <laughs> of another cyclist was this guy alex clark who's um i didn't actually meet but he was um he he was cycling around the world in a year like doing an amazing pace like proper physical effort of it and he um yeah like i met i he overtook me in turkey i think and by the time I got to Mumbai, he'd already made it to like Southern Australia. But I opened Instagram to see to see a video from him. And he was in the States in Oregon. He got hit by a semi truck. And um, yeah, he's 
in a pretty bad way but he's luckily he's alive and he's uh, in hospital and um yeah many broken hip i think and um yeah very very bad way and i think the thing is like you the the problem with the, not the problem with the cycling but the reality of cycling i suppose is that however safe you are and in in control you are and aware you are you still are at the mercy of everyone in everyone else on the road in a car or in a truck and um, you can do a lot of things to kind of reduce that chance but by being on the road so much you know we or you're exposed you're, you're the most exposed on the road yeah, um, so, as, I mean, as, yeah. The, as the guy whose bonnet i ended up on um on new oxford street in london said i didn't see you and i said through the windscreen do you see me now <laughs> um, yeah it was com- it was completely his fault but i've learned to ride um defensively so you expect that to happen but but if it's a big lorry and they don't see you and they just nudge you off the road which is what happened to james cracknell the olympic rower who yeah. was cycling across america and uh, they said if he wasn't as fit as he was he would definitely have died but he was in a coma and stuff and i think he's made a full recovery but yeah but, um and i hope obviously i hope your friend makes a full recovery as well yeah 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 i've really if <laughs> i really was shocked by that and yeah i've said to him uh privately if there's anything i can do then i'll i'll definitely be there to help just yeah it's just a reality you know you have to be aware of these things in a way um but yeah yeah it's an interesting one <laughs> sad way sad ending there yeah yeah and well also you started crackling and so i've switched i had to switch off my thing and switch it back on oh. and now you're not crackling so oh i don't you- if you didn't say anything, then it would have seemed like we were just really contemplating the, uh, you know, our own mortality for, for a few seconds in silence there. Oh, like, as you've seen in India and I've seen in the Philippines, in, in third world countries, life is, is cheap. It happens. People, people die and, and people get on with their lives and stuff. And I think in the Western world, uh, people obsess a lot about the, how finite your life is and everything. And they almost don't live their life and like you know you're out living your life i'm out living my life yeah obviously you want to minimize your your risk and exposure to things but you know i showed you i sent you that um that cliff jump thing in that i did um, yeah yeah you know and you said oh that looks really scary and i'm thinking you do parachuting yeah yeah so it's it's you know you pick your poison i guess it reminds me it reminds me of this post um do you know alex honnold the uh he, I've just been watching. I've just been watching the podcast, the Joe Rogan podcast interview. Uh, him. Yeah, um, it's in, it's incredible. He's a uh, free solo climber, right? So he climbs these unbelievable um, uh, faces with without. He did El Capitan. He did the yeah. three kilometer. Is it three three thousand feet? Three? I don't know. It's like some. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It, it's it like, dwarfs. It dwarfs like every. You know, they have like the Empire State Building. It's this little kind of toothpick yeah in in scale but but what's interesting about the podcast he was on is he's saying i'm never pushing myself yes like to the extremes but i have to he says it's like on a scale of one to ten he's always between a three and a seven yeah he said in some ways it's more dangerous to be close to a three because you might not concentrate and relax yeah that's a really interesting point yeah yeah he he wrote an interesting article when another figure in the climbing world was um uh was killed doing a similar kind of uh, uh, free solo climb, I believe. And uh, he just, yeah, he just wrote an article about, because I think when that kind of thing happens, you get a lot of people that are commenting 
um, saying how kind of how stupid it is or how how um, how unfair it is for other people for you to do that, you know, in your life for, for you to choose to do that. But I think what he said is he repeated what you said about, you know, when you're doing those things, you don't do, you don't like climb El Capitan without a rope for the first time, right? If you're a top level climber, you spend years getting to the point where you can climb these unbelievably tricky uh, climbs to the point where something like El Capitan is, is in your, is in the middle is a kind of easy thing to climb. And then you go down to that. And then on top of that, you spend, you spend a month beforehand climbing it with a rope. Like that's the thing you don't see when you, you look at that, you just think this guy is complete. Um, it's just really, you know, um, reckless, I suppose. But yeah, he, his argument was that, you know, this is a professional career for people like that. And they, they know, and they understand the risks and they choose to kind of go on with their life anyway, because they, because that's how, that's what they want to do, which sounds quite a simplistic way to put it, but also that's, you know, they experience more doing that than most people will ever kind of experience in their life. I suppose there's a certain argument to that. I, one of those podcasts, paragliding podcasts I was listening to recently, there was a quite a frank British guy. I wish I knew his name. I've listened to too many recently to be able to recall it, but he was saying, it's quite a humbling podcast to listen to actually, because a lot of the time they get people on to talk through the crashes that they've had, or if, well, anyone they interview who's been paragliding for 20 years has at some point had uh, some crash or some emergency situation again it's just it's just numbers really if you spend if you fly for a thousand hours to be a comp you know if you're a competition pilot and you fly a thousand hours a year for 20 years you will have collapses and you will have to throw your reserve parachute all this kind of stuff um but he said to this guy like what would you um recommend to people that are just getting into paragliding like what would you say to people that are just getting into paragliding and he said just don't do it <laughs> which i think is interesting because the it's this kind of um paradox in a way because you once you start doing it you experience these things that are just kind of inconceivable like i put one recent videos i published was the cloud flight um that i that i did in um in uh Oludinis in southern turkey which to date is the most is the most incredible thing that i've ever experienced in my life flying from about 2,000 meters up in on the top of the peak and descending through a layer of cloud. So you start in this kind of cold air and then the cloud comes towards you and you can experience the speed because normally when you're flying and you're 500 meters up plus, there's nothing close to you to get a experience of speed. You're flying 40 kilometers an hour, 30 kilometers an hour forward, but you can't experience that. And so suddenly you the cloud comes up towards you which is something that you there's no other way to experience it's just it's just unbelievable and then you can I, th I i think i called it like smelling tasting the clouds because the air as you go through the air you can taste the change you can taste the salty water from the from the evaporation of the of the ocean and uh yeah it's uh, it's i'm struggling to describe it now if i'm honest but uh sounds you, like a dream uh, sequence it is like a dream very literally like a dream but then you trade that off with the risks of doing it and it is very hard thing to 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 decide to do but you experience things that you know there's that most people in the world have never um or will never experience so yeah you're you're this is the thing you're in um a, a niche group and uh, alex honold is in an elite niche group a very very small group of people that are at the very extreme of what they're doing um and, you know, he was marveling to Joe Rogan, who's a commentator on the 
Ultimate Fighting Championship, a form of uh, competition of mixed martial artists. And he was saying, I don't understand how fighters fight. Yeah. Uh, American footballers play American football because he said, you are guaranteed to get yeah. uh, concussions and brain injuries and to, to, it's going to change your life. It's guaranteed that you're going to get some level of it. Um, he said with, with me, like, you know, he was talking about an, a much, an inspiration to him, a much older climber, he's like 60 or something, who still does free soloing. And he was saying, oh, he was saying to that guy when he had dinner with him, he's like, oh, when did you stop kind of, you know, taking risks? And the guy's like, well, I think the most challenging climb I've ever done, I did about two years ago. Yeah. So it's like, I, I just think that we've got an out, the, the podcast is very good with Joe Rogan um, and, and uh, Alex Honnold because they both show a lack of real depth of knowledge in each other's expert area and they're both very tolerant of each other's like lack of knowledge and they kind of explain it very well um how how you know like um a, a high level fighter will be very very good at not getting hit <laughs> <laughs> um and you know obviously and and uh the, what was saying about the, the free soloing there's loads of different kinds of climbing and different kinds of stuff and just because you're good at free soloing won't mean you're good at speed climbing yeah, or yeah. anything else um so yeah it, it was uh it's a really really good podcast and the one thing we didn't talk about was uh interview techniques yes um, yeah because i've been doing like i say i've done four interviews now since um since we did the last podcast and uh i've been it's been really good i've met i've been able to kind of it's kind of an excuse for me to be able to speak to a lot of people that are as crazy as me and are doing nice cycling adventures around the world but i definitely struggled with kind of style like i've i've not been i've not had, got a great deal of interview experience i found particularly kind of i struggled a little bit with well i had the two opposites in in terms of character i had like um um very talkative and not so talkative and my questions were quite kind of generic in a way i, I put it down to my questions a little bit in terms of being able to draw people out i also struggled with kind of guiding the conversation a little bit there was a lot, there's still a few little awkward pauses in there, which I think maybe you never get rid of in a live, a live show. But I think uh, there's definitely ways and strategies for, for guiding, guiding a live show through. But obviously, because you've been doing it a lot more, I'm interested to hear what recommendations you'd have for, for uh, my upcoming interviews with a fellow. fellow Just watch, um, and people like Joe Rogan are very, very sort of, I mean, the first thing is, is I'm, I've gone through being a fan of his and kind of come out the other end. I think he's very much into the kind of bro science approach to stuff. And he has his perspective. He's very blinkered and he only has people on that he, you know, really wants on. Um, bro one science. of the things that, one of the things he's really uh, good at is just letting things flow. And, and he'll chat for like two, three hour podcasts yeah. and stuff. And, and he doesn't, he doesn't necessarily do an introduction or anything. He just gets into it and it's just people talking. Yeah. So he's got that very, relaxed way and i think to be able to do that which is kind of how we're doing it um is really important i think if you've got someone who's not very chatty or talkative as soon as you go into a formal route with them they'll clam up more so yeah you want to say oh, okay this person's not so talkative but we'll make it chatty and make it friendly and you, you know how we had our chat before we went live yeah that's really 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 important i've interviewed people who were really really nervous and i made sure we had a meal first 
And I think I, that was the problem with one of the interviews. I just jumped straight in because also the, I, the thing I struggle with, which is for this as well, is that I don't want to like use up any of the good because inevitably what happens is you stop the tape or you or before you even press start, you, you they say something really interesting and you're like, oh, why didn't yeah. I capture that? And that so, happened in this case actually, we stopped and then we chatted for another half an hour afterwards. And I was like, this yeah. is much more natural than when we were. And we were live. Absolutely, absolutely. That happens. You can always have them back. That's the other thing. But yes, yeah. um, note stuff down that they say in the precursor uh, to, to when you, you know, you just, just if they said something and you haven't got it live, just get it noted down mm. and then you can revisit. You can, you can uh, redirect the, when things are kind of uh, not going the right direction, you can redirect it then. Um, I think that, uh, it can help to have a set of kind of standard questions. I'm actually redrafting my own at the moment uh, because of this kind of new approach and the idea of really taking it from a point of someone talking about their most vulnerable state and when they were at their lowest low. Um, I think you just go and find, like you're listening to a lot of podcasts, you're hearing a lot of different interview styles. Um, I think um, you have to be really comfortable in the subject matter that you're talking about. That is like so vital. Yeah. If you're, about, if you're talking about stuff you don't know, at least show the humility to say you don't know about it. And I would say as well with interviewing and everything else, I don't feel like I know that much. I'm just very interested in it and I'm kind of doing more research. I'm always like trying to be a sponge, like from, from looking at how uh, Parkinson interviewed uh, Muhammad Ali to, um, you know modern modern techniques uh you know there's there's and seeing how it's done badly you know like um do you remember when oh, you wouldn't you're, you're too young but i remember when george best was on wogan okay um, and he was drunk and he was just a nightmare and sometimes there's just nothing you can do sometimes the best thing you can do is just shut shut it down and and do it another time um it's interesting you mentioned about the sort of subject matter thing because that's what i find interesting about Joe Rogan in a way I mean I I I was always a bit well when I first listened to it I was a bit I didn't really get into it but then I because I, I the problem is I downloaded a thousand episodes and so then <laughs> I was listening to the sort of the ones with his mates where he's just chatting about um UFC or whatever which I'd have no reference point to at all but then what I did is deleted it and then I a few people recommended a few so I found the Alex Honnold one I, I like you know I've been listening to a lot of um I've been reading a lot of John Ronson so i um downloaded the john ronson one and then um louis theroux and all that kind of and then yeah um who else oh darren brown which was actually really darren brown was really interesting what i find intriguing about joe rogan is that he there's a lot he meets a lot of people that he doesn't he doesn't have he doesn't know anything well doesn't know anything he doesn't he's not experienced in that in their uh in their area of expertise but he's still the thing that I struggle with is that he will also do a, he'll do a monologue for five minutes about his theories on that topic, which sometimes gets on my nerves, I have to say. But that's an interesting it's interesting to be able to have that um, that confidence when you're talking to an expert in a particular subject to sort of be able to wax lyrical on it to the point where it doesn't it doesn't put off. The person you're interviewing there's like a certain level of confidence and general awareness and understanding and being able to process what people are saying and put your own spin on it that i think is uh is an interesting thing about listening to joe but sometimes it does annoy me when it is yeah it's slightly 
It, no, he can be he can be super annoying. Um, Science is the way to put it. Like he's got some interesting. He sits in, in that interesting range of like hyper masculine, but also quite also liberal in some aspects of 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 his you know of his um, of his theology. Yeah, so he, um, powders his powders at the end or whatever. It's interesting. He's he's um he's the most powerful podcaster on the planet right now. I think. Mm. Um, and so most people will, even if he's annoying them, they'll let him do it because they're on his show and it's a very powerful show and it's going to help them with what they do. Um, he is uh, intelligent enough to admit when he's made mistakes or when he's made kind of, he's learned further things. Um, he does seem comfortable in his level of ignorance as well, which is a little bit worrying. Um, but yeah, I mean... And he also has complete fucking idiots on there as well. Yeah. Like uh, that Alex Jones guy. Like, but then in a way you kind of, if you can endure it, then fine. You just got to pick the ones that, you know, the people you're interested in. Um, there are lots of other really, really good podcasts. I, I really like this one, this, this uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy called Raspberry Ape. His podcast <laughs> is called Raspberry Ape. And he's, He's just, I think he's like slightly ginger, which is probably why I like him. But he has on not just kind of jujitsu people, but he has some really intense like podcast uh, guests and he asks such great questions. And I, I feel like he's just lived his life and he's kind of very comfortable in his own skin. So uh, in a way, I think those make the best interviewers. The people who are comfortable in their own skin aren't, aren't afraid to ask questions, um, do their homework uh let things flow don't be afraid for there to be an awkward it's better that there's an awkward silence than you're trying to fill it with joe rogan-esque type five minute pieces yeah it's an interesting point i wonder why uh why fighters and comedians are such good podcast hosts seems to be i think i've subscribed to about five different podcast interview series by comedians or uh or wrestlers or something it seems to be a strange strange venn diagram uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, yeah, fighters really need to have a career outside of um, outside of it. It's such of it. a short thing. Yeah. Um, I, I really like Michael Bisping's podcast, Believe You Me, um, and he's a very polarizing character, but he's kind of managed to control him his product, so to speak. He, he's a um, an analyst on the ESPN broadcast now as well. But by having his own podcast, it keeps his independence. He can do his own thing, and he can generate money. And now he does these kind of audience with things in like he just did one in toronto so um it it's it's good to do it i mean you know we're not getting loads of listeners on this and it, ironically the raspberry eight doesn't get many listeners on certainly not on the youtube channel probably more on itunes but um if anything this is for posterity because you're traveling around the world you're doing this great thing um and we can kind of listen back to it and laugh in years to come yeah i speak um, speaking of comedians, uh, I'm going to go and see Dave Chappelle in two weeks' time. Interesting. Um, and then I think I'm going to Okinawa to see, hopefully, Jimmy Carr, uh, yeah. because a friend is organising that. Sure. So, um, uh, and I'm going to leave you with this is the logo. Oh, amazing. It's <laughs> Must blue, be out of you, actually. I will get on to you. Wait a second. Turn your camera on. There you go. Nice. That's wicked. It's a bit, it's very nice blue. 
And uh, I've just got to find, sunset, if, I, if I can't find a T-shirt that they've made, I'll, I'll make one myself with yeah. a high-quality copy. <laughs> um, but, yeah, yeah, great record shop jet set. Um, by, uh, definitely go and check it out if you're in, in Tokyo. And I'll, I will be putting out videos on Tokyo, Osaka, Kyoto, um, and also Amsterdam, uh, Rotterdam, Barcelona, well, it's Berlin. Hmm. So, um, yeah, you can That's find me on, on anywhere, Dan, Dan Formless, as in having no form. And <laughs> people, people, I've got a website, danformless.com, and you've got a website, benbowler.com. And you're, you're actually featured on the front of my bike. I have Hoxton, that Hoxton circular logo, and I also have my own on, on youtube.com slash benbowler, my only other like featured channel is Hoxton FM, so you can uh, oh, great. check us there. Yeah, I mean, I think these podcasts are great because, uh, yeah, they're a good way just to catch up. But also, I kind of feel like as uh, uh, as the channel builds with the sort of more slick edited stuff, it'd be nice to have some deep cuts. And I feel like this, these are the sort of deep cuts where we talk ah. about uh, the everything in extreme detail. So if you're the real obsessive about Hoxton, about... <laughs> or about yeah. trip or my future projects then this is where you know this is where the archivist will come in these will be you know documented on some little wiki site somewhere in uh, in the future once the uh once i hit my two million fans point that's the uh that's there you the, go is, is that the target exactly yeah two million i've almost reached 200 now i'm quite impressed i got to 174 <laughs> recently so uh yeah we'll see once i hit that i'll you know, I'll, uh, I'll be away i think pootie pie is on like about 73 million or uh, maybe he's even hit 80 million now that's unbelievable insane i think an insane. indian channel is is beating him though right there was a t-series i think it is there's a big thing about t-series is going to beat uh beat pewdiepie so uh, i'm going to when i start launching my indian videos um i'm, I'm expecting a big uptake in uh in subscribers because it's a very uh youtube is huge here absolutely massive and there's just millions of people on it so um got to start my indian specific content you should come over here and do some do a hoxton hoxton mumbai hoxton delhi hoxton bangalore and uh, i mean no i'm uh, in no rush to do that i don't need uh loads and loads of listeners but pewdiepie has <laughs> just just short of 89 million subscribers nice now. nice so i don't i don't i mean and also i don't think he cares he doesn't he doesn't care about it um and i think that whole controversy with the indian website has actually boosted the amount of followers he gets yeah absolutely it's all publicity isn't it so i just got to um yeah uh, the problem with me is i don't want to i i don't have the appetite or the ability to go and do anything massively controversial so we'll see what was the uh logan paul live streaming a dead body i think that's pretty uh pretty far yeah. you can yeah. be sure that on this channel i'm never gonna i'm not gonna stream any uh dead bodies so yeah, unfortunately no, I mean, if you need that, go somewhere else. Yeah, that was that was horrible, horrible. It's really embarrassing to watch him running through the streets of Japan as well. Mm. But um, yeah, uh, you don't need to do any of that. <laughs> Just calm, calm videos of the realities of cycling around the world. That's what you get here. I'm doing my first guide as well. I'm launching my digital nomad guide to Sofia, Bulgaria, which is from six months ago. And then I'm also doing cycle touring guides or bike packing guides for each country or 
subcontinent, whatever. So I'm going to do India first on that one while I'm here, and um, yeah, branch out as we go. So I'm going to keep an eye on your your ones. Obviously, yours are different focus, but uh, I think yeah, interested to see what form is uh, is useful. And also, it's going to be useful uh, when you write your book, right? Yeah, absolutely. The film, the feature right, writing film. A, writing a book, writing a book <laughs> the thing. That's that's what really sets you. And then if you do, if you write a book, then you know, and and that does okay. Then you'll get loads and loads of followers anyway. Yeah. And it's not about followers; it's about plays. This oh is, yes. This, this is the thing. So uh, uh, you can have all the followers in the world, but if no one's watching your content, then what difference does it make? Very true. Very true. And on that note. Let's call it a night. It's dark here now. I'm going to go and eat. What are you going to go and do? Uh, I'm going to have my lunch and then get some more uh, some more work done before uh, before the sun sets here. I'm a few hours behind you. But, um, yeah, it's been awesome to finish episode eight. And, uh, yeah, let's do it sooner rather than later from Nepal. Amazing. Yeah, I look forward to it. And I, my thing just started crackling, and I think I've worked out the issue. It's the, the contact points. Uh, here, so I'll, I'll clean those and uh, maybe that will be, solve it problem solved we'll give it could a go be. could be so yeah um, real pleasure and an honour as always and I will catch you when you're in Nepal and I, I guess I'll be back in the UK then yes perhaps um, unless you've got your uh, Japanese citizenship I'm not, I'm not going there, <laughs> uh, we'll give um, it a few more trips and you'll be there Maybe, maybe. I might, I might possibly, well, it'll be April that you'll be there, will it? April, yeah, for two months from April the 9th, I will be in Nepal. And then I'm powering into Southeast Asia, into Laos um, for spring, summertime. Well, yeah, spring. Uh, it's probably not spring time in Asia because it's rainy season or something. But um, yeah, springtime in the UK. Nice, nice. Well, I've got, I've got a gig in uh Deptford in South nice. London as, as soon as I get back playing, nice. playing at Arja which is a great little actually they're a pop-up radio station now under uh, some train tracks in an arch nice. uh, playing for Bank of Switches and um, then a week later I'm doing my party um, at Grow in Hackney Wick on a Sunday in a, in a day and obviously it's going to be sunny but they yeah. have now they've now built a greenhouse as well so we're, we're going to do it out kind of outside on the riverbanks hopefully or in that greenhouse so free party everyone's welcome to come down that's 14th of april sunday 14th of april nice um those are the only days that i can't do with you on a podcast <laughs> any other time i'm i'm available we'll fit it in nice of that until Great. thanks so much ben <laughs> yeah take care take care ride safe and um, i hope you get uh, your your new cogs in nepal when you make it there Nice, on, yeah. On, on the remaining ones. Yeah, yeah, fingers crossed I don't wear anything else out on the way. <laughs> Cheers, okay, man. cool. Bye. Great.